Hello world from Octopost headquarters. This is Radically Transparent, Octopost's original podcast show on B2B marketing now. I'm Jennifer Gutman, Director of Social Strategy, and in most episodes of this podcast, we'll feature B2B marketing leaders who will share their radically transparent truths behind being a modern-day marketer and what it takes to grow ideas, take risks, and impact change. Joining me on this episode of Radically Transparent is Richard Wall, Senior Marketing at Spotler UK. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've been listening to a lot of episodes. I'm in some, some very exalted company, so I just hope I, can, <laughs> I hope I can do justice to the setting that I'm in. <laughs> I think you will do justice. We are super stoked to have you today on the show, especially because we know that you're known across the industry as a master helper of B2B companies <laughs> to make the most out of their marketing automation. And you know that that's like our soft spot at Octopost. So with that said, are you ready to get radically transparent? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do All it. Let's right. Do this. I'll start off with an easy one. I think it's an interesting, I know there's like a name change in there, but what is Spotler UK and how did you find yourself there? Spotler UK, it's been, in essence, it's a marketing automation platform for B2B, small market, medium businesses. Well, our, our bit of the business targets solely the UK. Yeah, so I'll take you through the whole suite of software. Kind of it's about identifying the people that visit your website, wherever that comes from, whether that's from, from social through like Octopost or from organic search or pay-per-click ads, whatever else it may be, identifying them and giving you enough information to then nurture them with, with automated content. So if, if someone visits our blog on how to create great LinkedIn content, then a couple of days later, you can drop them into a feed that says, okay, you like that, you might like this video that we did, or you might like this white paper trying to build them up so you get to a point where for marketing teams, it's about creating replicable processes to be worked based on what you know works from, from your previous backlog. And for sales, it's about making sure that when, when you pick up the phone, everything you need to genuinely help that person, like you know their areas of interest, you know enough about them that it's not, a, oh, hi, who looks after your marketing? It's, oh, hey, Carl, I know you were, I know you were reading about our LinkedIn software. I thought I'd give you, I thought I'd give you, uh, give you a call and talk about how we can help you deploy that more effectively. Someone who's been in in sales for 10 years, I just have to say, I really appreciate this type of technology. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I think we'll talk about that. I I, I tried to do sales, couldn't do it. And if if I'd had the tools that that our sales team have and and that our customers have, it would have been a very, very different ballgame. And and I might not be here now. So, (laughs) you know, it swings and roundabouts, I guess, as as far as that goes. In terms of finding myself here, I I originally worked for a telecoms company who were a Spotler customer. Okay. And it sounds really sad now, but it was the first time I've looked at a bit of software, like discovering marketing automation, email marketing platforms and gone, you know what, you could do some really cool stuff with it. This is, this is genuinely exciting, uh, which, you know, and it, it's got me to where it is. So it sounds good now, but it's, it's not cool. Maybe we can edit that little bit out so I sound, you know, I think that's hip a and... kind of technology, right? I mean, if you were using it and then it kind of lured you in and now... You know that now that you're a, an ambassador and, and team member of, of, of Spotler, I think that's a lot to say about the technology itself. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. We'll go with that. Why not? And then, yeah, and then making the switch. I mean, I I was always already in a point where I was looking for a new job anyway for a, for a whole variety of a variety of reasons. But then when they push people over to force you to use single sign-on rather than individual sign-ons for all the different set in the suite. They put on like an information evening, and it was it was a bowling alley in in Stratford in, in central London, which is which which was it was a good it was a great venue for it, and it was quite a small event. It turns out there were about the same number of of spotless staff as there were customers there, so it ended up being like a really really in depth sort of one to one type 
sort of training and learning experience. And then I was sitting at the bar at the end with the head of account management. And I just said to him, you know what? I like to work with you guys. You guys, you guys are great. It's just, you know, you get, a, you get a vibe off of a team and you can just feel that they, they love what they do and they're really cool people. There wasn't anything right at that point. But then when a marketing thing, marketing option came up, went for it. And then, and that was three and a half years ago. And I've, I've not looked back and it's been a, been a great ride. Well, we're glad you're there. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get to this kind of thought a little a little bit later on in the episode, but the whole fact that that was all done in person seems like such a long time ago, right? Like, oh, right, with, with uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, going out and seeing people and like a sharing platter of food, what were we thinking? Or you were like, the bar, and I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I forget what that even looks like oh, on the inside yeah. of the pub. So with that, you know, one of the questions that we've become famous for asking and why our show is called Radically Transparent is because of the question that we ask, which I will ask you now. (laughs) Right? A little intro. But on a serious note, right, we're in a crazy world. What keeps you up at night professionally? Yeah, professionally, is a good point. I was going to say we my nine-month-old We can personally, we can go there now. as well. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've got a nine-month-old who does not like his cot for reasons he is not choosing to share yet. So that's that's the personal side. But uh, <laughs> professionally, I I think probably marketing fatigue, especially now we've been, you know, it's, it's getting on for a year since coronavirus became a word that we all knew. And, and it kind of launched, oh, look, we can do all this cool new stuff. We can do different stuff. We can try other things. And that's, that's fantastic. I've, I've loved doing it. I've loved like a lot of the stuff we've experimented with and some of the changes have been really great. But there's also that need to kind of balance that with the other stuff, like not to get overwhelmed and try and do too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was reading um, an article by a guy called Mark Ritson, who I'm a big fan of. I think you know, Mark is around, you, you probably come across him, he's an Australian um, brand strategist, a big fan of his. And he said that half of strategy is deciding what you're not going to do. And I think that's important. And if, especially here in the UK now we're starting to see a vaccine roll out and it, it, by all appearances it's going pretty quickly that we will get back to something called normality <laughs> you know, whatever that meant and I think there will be a, a real pressure to kind of combine the stuff we've started doing and going back to the stuff we did before and for most teams marketing teams that's not going to be sustainable you're going to have to be quite right quite ruthless and go like you know what's the stuff that's working least well like, even if it's working is it working less well than something we could we'd be better off putting more time into and you know I've, i'm the worst person for this i have this this shiny object syndrome that i think is common to to so many marketing like, oh look at this oh look at that i want to do this and but yeah you've got to take a step back and say hang on like what can we what can we actually focus on where can we where can we make this difference where can we deliver some results and what's kind of it'd be nice to but if we don't get to it then we're not not losing out and i think having that bringing that discipline to to the overall team is going to be a real challenge but but it's really important to to get it right I think I I would have to agree with you and you know you're here zoom fatigue marketing fatigue I mean work from home fatigue I don't even know what else fatigue um (laughs) children not staying in their beds fatigue but but it is it's it's, as a marketer it's I think it's a challenge because again there's so much noise out there and we'll get to that we're going to talk about that and something you know that triggered in my mind based off of what you're talking about with with marketing fatigue and I want to ask you about and I know that you you've written some great stuff on this topic I did my due diligence I want to <laughs> I do want to ask you about webinars because I think right when we're talking about marketing fatigue and what's interesting about them is that they're nothing new right like they've been around right. they've been part of our marketing strategies for a very long time and especially in industries that like ours I mean you say a webinar I mean it's like you do them in your sleep 
And right. And, and it's no surprise, right, with everybody working from home that the popularity and production of them has risen over the past year. They're, they're easy to do. You know, everybody is it was at, at the moment, you know, and kind of continuing forward, the only channel, if you will, that have, has become so oversaturated. But despite this marketing fatigue of maybe ideas or everybody's doing these webinars, it seems like there is no such thing as webinar fatigue, that there it's like nowhere in sight. And people were still getting, I can speak for ourselves, I don't know what your webinars are looking mm. like, but they're generating more signups, more participants than ever before. And so what I wanted to ask a little bit about kind of that shift, like right? thinking about marketing fatigue, yet webinars don't seem to fall under that, in your opinion, in today's quote-unquote, new, changed world. What makes a good webinar? And again, not to fall into that marketing fatigue trap or doing it the same way everybody else is doing it, what should we be cautious about when we're creating you know, our 2021 series, if anything? Uh, I, th- I think you hit it on the head with one of these things that you can do a webinar in your sleep, but right. if you do a webinar in your sleep, if you, if you do a webinar in your sleep, <laughs> your audience is going to be watching in their sleep. Like if you, if you fall back into those... I was watching this another guy. I'm, I'm doing so many recommendations. I should probably, you know, start charging commission on these. But um, a guy that you, your listeners should really check out is a guy called Mark Bornstein. He works for On24. He calls himself their chief webinar. Okay, webinars yes, are, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, you come across him. I watched one with him on just, just a week ago, and he said that webinar fatigue, if, if it existed, or which, like you say, it doesn't particularly seem like, to. Like, does it? Who knows? Yeah. Well, it's bad content fatigue. Like, if you can, if you're delivering good stuff, like, I, I this. I was writing some notes before you jumped on this, and it's a, thing, a theme I keep coming back to again and again and again. If your content's good, people come and get it. Like that's that's it. Like it doesn't matter what what your your medium is, whether it's email or anything. You'll deliver good content, and people will turn up. Like bad content fatigue is the one you've really got to watch out for. But if you're if you sit there and say, "Welcome to our webinar about how to use social media for B two B business," awful rubbish. That doesn't sound good at all. Being you're going to be engaging, like I say, you don't don't you. If it's obvious you're doing it in your sleep, it'll come back like that. Like um, when we did a little while ago, we fall into the trap before 22. And we did like, we did a slide deck and he had an audio voice over top and that was it. Like there wasn't much going on there. And I decided I wanted to get on video and do one like that. And I, I said to people, I came up and said, hey, but like if you've been here before, you'll know we don't usually do video. We're trying it out. Uh, there's going to be a poll at the end. If you guys hated it, let me know because it's about delivering value for you guys. And actually 80% of our, of our pretty decent audience said, yeah, video is better. Like if you give them these chances to engage, then they will do it and they'll learn from it. Like people, no one wants to be a first mover and make the mistake. Like there could be people there that have been nervous about video and they've gone, oh, you know what? Richard did it. It wasn't so bad. It worked out quite well. And the rest of the people liked it on there. So maybe I should do it as well. Listen, I really respect marketers, sales, pretty much any role that tries new things. And I think that's really important to like to take that risk, to try something new, to think out of the box, to not do things the way you used to do them. So with that, could you share with us maybe some of the things we know turned on your video during your webinars, but could you share with yeah. us maybe some other things that you've tried this year that have worked, that have been new, that were a huge success? This was it. We've, we've tried, actually, I'll keep it on the webinar. Track. We tried like a webinar workshop that we've done okay. for the first time. It's much more, I, w- I was skeptical. We used we used Zoom, we used GoToWebinar, and we used Microsoft Teams all in one thing. With about, Oh, interesting. And I was, it was when my internet connection gave out first, or one of the tools gave out. I don't know. So we did. It was a small customer workshop. We kept it def, definitely to a small, like like a tent, like a pilot group. To, mm-hmm. We didn't know how it was going to go. <laughs> and it did like an an, an original. It was about using smart forms and um, web capture series, 
Um, so we did a little presentation on, on GoToWebinar, which is our, like the platform that's integrated mm-hmm. with us. So that's our standard go-to. Then we separated the people into two different rooms. So we, whether, which, whether they were on smart forms or workflows, which they wanted to discuss in like a group setting. And then out of that, each of us took one of the, one of the clients into a private Zoom meeting to discuss like their, their really granular thing. And that worked really well. And it all, like the technology flowed. And I think we're going we're gonna to try and keep rolling it out. I'm, I'm certainly advocating keeping rolling it out. Whether you can get that sort of engagement with with leads or sort of colder people straight off the bat, I don't know. But it's one of those that you've got to. It's, it's worth a punt and see because because we've got the technology to work. And if not, we'll keep doing that for customers because they liked it, and we'll keep the standard webinar format for uh, for leads. But but like you say, we tried it; it worked, and it was actually it was quite a lot of fun. That especially marketing from where I do it, it's a lot of lead and prospect marketing. Actually, getting to spend some time with the customers is really valuable to me. Previously, we had our customer conference that was our kind of chance to interact with people, but that's, you know, that's gone out the window. We managed to squeeze that in in February 2020, luckily, before we, um, before everything went down the drain. <laughs> so having having that time to actually spend with customers and speak to them about how they use the product is, is a lot more valuable. And it's something I think we should do more of. Interesting. I'm like, my wheels are turning because I'm thinking now, like you've inspired me to bring maybe something like this to Octopus because I we've never thought to do something like that. And it sounds well orchestrated. Excellent. Maybe you can come conduct a... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. That's why you see yeah. my... Really think about that. So what I heard from that too is like kind of you focus in on kind of these smaller groups. And that kind of leads me to the questioning of kind of account-based marketing or focusing on like kind of the smaller not necessarily smaller, but more focused groups. And you know our tagline, right? We we like we are huge yeah. believers. Our tagline, we make it measurable. So I want to maybe we can dive into a little bit the topic of account-based marketing or you know, target accounts. How and where do they have a place in today's modern day marketing strategy? And just what can we learn from them? How can we do that right with marketing automation, with social data? Maybe we can jump into that topic. Yeah, absolutely. I think they definitely have a place in in marketing at the moment. And but I think with with ABM, I think it's got this kind of banner over it. I think of it as a tactic rather than a strategy. And that that could be controversial for a few people (laughs) out there. Like you don't have to go all in on it. I think the best thing you can do is have your kind of your pot of decent leads and then and then pick some target accounts. You know, for for your sales team, give them like 10 accounts a month or 10 a quarter or whatever, however you segment your time. But have the marketing motivation kind of chugging away in the background, doing all that warming up. Mm-hmm. Once sales actually want to speak to them, and yeah, take it, make it much more personalized. The thing that I've found is that it makes it much easier. To, like sales and marketing alignment is one of these buzzword things that we've banged on about for since Jesus was small. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one thing, but the, one of the ways we actually do it is is literally sitting with like we started doing short term we call tactical campaigns. Okay. Where I will literally go and sit down with one of our sales or one of our biz devs and say, like, right, who do you want me to let's, let's craft something? You know, let's let's pick on engineering managers in Staffordshire or you know London-based financial executives. Let's, let's pick a a pot with two or three angles on it that we can deliver some really specific content to, and let's work on them for a bit. Let's give you the chance to to dive into them and um, and yeah, sort of treat treat them as a one-on-one. But then more people filter in from the background of doing your, your general marketing or sort of one-to-many, I think it's called in ABM speak, then you can have that running in the background as well because people might surprise you. One of my, <laughs> my favorite stories about one-to-one, I said it's not really one-to-one, but um, there's my old boss. He had, uh, it was a leader, it was the IT director of a hotel chain. Okay. And he, he came to these company conferences that we used to run 
this was my a previous role before Spotler. He came to them four years in a row, and he, he came. He'd sit in sit in the sessions and listen in, and, think, and never never talk to him, never talk to sales, never engage with it. Just you know, get this content, go away. And then the fifth year, he <laughs> turned up and uh, said. I want to do business with you guys. You know, your staff have done this. this Only is took five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, that's that person thing. Like, yeah, people are, people are, people are individuals. Like, it shouldn't be an obvious, that shouldn't be a thing that needs to be said, but it's really true that like, it's worth taking the time to understand how individual people are looking at these things, nurturing in that way. And then you will win things on that. If you, if people can tell if they're being automatically marketed to, there's a, there's a tone. I, I spot it even when, even when I write my own emails, like when I'm, if I'm writing to a mass audience or I'm writing someone quite specific, there's, it's hard to put your finger on what it is, but there's a definite tone shift or diff, like there's a slightly different voice in how you address that so people can tell. And it's worth taking the time to identify these key people. And especially if you want to break into like a new market, you know, if they, you know, we don't, we don't serve anyone. We don't work with anyone in financial services, for example, like pick one that you really work with, win them. And then that gives you, that gives you your case study, that gives you your stress, that gives you that kind of branches out onto everything else. Yeah. What's interesting. So I really like kind of the direction that marketing is headed in terms of, you know, the one-on-one connections, the the more personalized, you name it, the segmentation. And something that I'm actually working on, and I don't know if you are seeing this as well, especially, you know, behind marketing automation. But what I find really interesting is, so we, we all know LinkedIn is like the network for B2B, right? Yeah. And... But we also know that like usually if someone's on LinkedIn, they're also on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, right? They're usually on multiple networks. And so what I've actually tried doing and taking a look at, and as soon as I get a little bit more data, I'm happy to have a, you know, a <laughs> Jen and Richard <laughs> episode part two. But what I'm starting to understand is that each person has almost like a different persona on each network, right? So just like as a marketer, when you're writing your content for each network, your audiences on each network, right? even if it's yeah. the same person. So, and, and the reason why this comes to mind when I'm thinking about like account-based marketing is as I'm building out who I want to target, I actually started incorporating doing like little audits on their Twitter and their Facebook, I mean, or just being a master stalker. I don't know how to <laughs> coin that one. But in terms of a social strategy, kind of taking a look at who this person is on each network to get a bigger picture. And then taking that social data and pumping that into also what our sales reps are seeing. And again, it's, it's, I'm not sure if it's an art, a science, or maybe Jen the stalker, but I've found some really interesting things and some really interesting correlations. So like, for example, there's a lot of my kind of buyer personas in the fintech industry who I'm finding on, on LinkedIn are, are in one way speaking about numbers and finance. And on Twitter, they love music festivals or like they play a lot of instruments. And I think this is fascinating because then when you're talking about right, writing these personalized mass emails to a segmented group, if you can kind of find some sort of uh, correlation between the different social media presences, I found that I'm trying to like slide that in to see how it works. And I'll definitely keep you updated, but like oh, that's what's yeah, going that's, on that's, in my head. <laughs> that's a bit, that's, that's interesting. I, I, yeah, I see what you mean. I do use like, I think LinkedIn obviously yeah, is, is more B2B and then Twitter, I'm a bit more personal probably like. I think the boundary does blur a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I, I want to come back when you've got that data. And let's we'll do a whole yeah. episode on that. That sounds. <laughs> I think <laughs> the thing with like the stalker, worry, like they put that stuff out there. Like you know, it's not like you've you've gone to their doctor's office and found out that they're diabetic. Right. Like that that yeah. stalking. Like yeah, like <laughs> if you post it up on Twitter, that you're putting it out there. It's not it's not private. Fair game. So I, you know, yeah, it's a fair game to be stalked by Jen. 
But (laughs) (laughs) so with that, I want to actually shift the conversation to, it's an interesting topic. And, and a lot of guests that I've had on the show, we're starting to dive into it both on the show and even when I'm, you know, speaking to colleagues, but for as long as companies have been around, right, there's always been executives and leadership calling the shot. And it's usually done behind closed doors. We're not seeing what's going on. And then suddenly 2021 comes around, social media is growing. And we're always talking about how do we break the status quo and and kind of see how we can do things differently. And with that, what I'm noticing is specifically on social media, some executives are taking to social to share what their decision-making process is. I know our CEO just did a podcast where he actually shared live on the podcast how we at Octopus don't believe in role plays in sales, that we go for simulation. So he's kind of taking right decisions or strategies that have been for so long behind the scenes, putting it right out there on social and in hopes to help others, inspire others. So what I wanted to ask you, and you know, I've took a look at your LinkedIn, I've done my stalking, but <laughs> where do you see, you know, you as Richard, you as a marketing leader, what is your role on social and what does your persona represent? And then taking it even bigger, should CMOs, CEOs, VPs, should they be posting on social? What should it look like? And maybe let's dive into a little bit about that because I know it's a bit controversial about the hows, the how to how to make it happen and what it looks like or what it should or shouldn't look like. Yeah, I mean, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get them do it. You can't like I can't you can't march up to your CMO like right go post on LinkedIn like you, you, they've got to be willing to do it. You can't shoehorn somebody into it because it, it will come through. And they, like we said about the tone on emails, like it will come through. And they, if they just I need to write a blog on LinkedIn or hey guys, this is what I'm sharing on LinkedIn this week. Like the, you, you sense it, it's, it's completely different. My personal brand. I was thinking about this and I remembered that I tried to establish a personal brand that was separate from me a couple of years ago in a previous role, and it was. Really, really hard work. I, it, <laughs> yeah. it, I, was, I was in a kind of hybrid marketing, telemarketing, sort of biz dev, lead gen, data cleansing type role. And I was try- it was one of those, like, I could see that it was valuable work for, to do, but it was quite boring. So I was trying to make it interesting by kind of writing about it. And I set up a WordPress blog. I set up a, a separate Twitter feed for this persona that I called, I called it the proud telemarketer. I think it still yeah. exists somewhere around. We're going to find it. Details, the, <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> No, and I mean, it's got to be you. Like the, the idea of your your personal brand as a as a thing that's not you is impossible. Like, you're going to make so much work for yourself. I think it's about being authentic. I'm not going to use that word ever again after <laughs> after this. Like, <laughs> unprecedented and authentic and connection pivot. are probably the three words. Oh, pivot! Yeah, that's going the swear jar after. <laughs> so, but um, I, if you you know you've you've seen my LinkedIn, daily what follows me on LinkedIn, I. I was I was I dived into a conversation about Casio watches the other day. I I, I do post I I engage with marketing stuff and marketing. I think the key thing is engaging with marketing people, finding the kind of people that you find interesting and they're interested in you, and 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 chat about whatever. Like it's social media, you talk about all kinds of all kinds of ridiculous stuff. I lost where I was going with that thought, but <laughs> having that person, it has to be it has to be you. It can't be a mask that you put on, but it because it's a lot of. A lot of hard work in terms of like the CMO and the top level execs approach. I think it's got to be it's got to be thought leadership. For, mm-hmm. You know, it's a it, which is a slightly nebulous term to be to be honest. If it's 
you know, things that interest them. If you post things that interest you and things that you're interested and in, things that you already find, that's that's where it comes from. If you you've got to put stuff out there that you you genuinely want to share and that you're interested in, yeah, and then it will it will attract the right kind of people. I find I've seen if you, know, you can, if you if you've got someone who's a particularly good ghostwriter on your team, then that you can start or at least sort of provide a framework for people to build around. That's probably the easiest way if you've got a reluctant. CMO, but then I I'd be surprised if anyone's got in, anyone's got into marketing and stayed in marketing and got to that position if they don't like it, talking firstly and you know, <laughs> you know sharing stuff and being interested in stuff. It's something that marketers all all have in common by by genetics or whatever else. <laughs> totally, totally. And and with that, I'm actually going to throw you a curveball. Okay. <laughs> so, so we're talking about social media and 2020 has been an interesting year to be following, and, and you know what's going on, on Twitter big tech, right? All these interesting debates. In your opinion, is social media good or is social media evil? <laughs> Only a Seth deals in absolutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, no technology is inherently good or evil. It's, it's what you do with it, right? Like you, you can use a hammer to build a house or you can use it to smash stuff. Right? It, it's bringing people together and what that means. And, you know the, the problem like on one, on one level you know the people the you know people, bad people i'm not going to dive to get too, get too political on here but you know if you've got some 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 fairly nasty opinions before social media you know you'd probably confine no one else shared them that was fine but you can you find a community of bad people as much as you can find like a supportive community of good people um it's no it, 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 i can't it can't be reduced to good or evil i think it's the way you the way you choose to use it if people are honest about who they are and where they go and what they post. People, you know, anonymous people that, you know, their, their Twitter picture is blank and they've got 660 numbers after their name and they're just posting offensive comments, then, you know, that's not doing anybody any good, really. But connecting people on the whole is a good thing. So I think it's more good than evil if it has to be one or the other. Well, I respect that answer. Uh, that, Thanks for the curveball. That, that was deep. We were talking about the strategy <laughs> stuff. And then I was like, so what's your moral philosophy? And goodness. All the sweat coming, <laughs> glistening to the Zoom. <laughs> so, so, so with that, I'm glad we can end on a strong note. And I see our time is coming to an end. I have one last question for you. And... I know, right? We know you shared it on this podcast that something that keeps you up at night personally is your fun little one doesn't like his cot in the evenings. <laughs> and I was hoping that maybe on today's show that you could tell us something about yourself that we're not able to find on your LinkedIn profile that only someone can learn from listening to this podcast. podcast. <laughs> God, I, I, I'd like to think I share most of most of what <laughs> makes me sort of tick, really. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I post a lot about running on LinkedIn. That's probably your best, your running? best shot there. I just, yeah. I've actually, at, at that time of record, I don't, I can't remember when we said this was going to go out, but I've entered the ballot for this year's London Marathon on a kind of, you know, like I've done half marathons. So, you know, I, like, I can do them. There's got to be a step up. So let's You're my idol. So, I hate I'm, running. Hate. <laughs> it's, it's so boring. Like I just, I mean, especially now you're saying you're running a marathon. So like what my next question is, even though we should end this, but I have one last question for you about running. Yep. What do you think about while you're running for so long? Um, <laughs> um, anything and nothing. I, 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 I used to just listen to music or, or podcasts while I run, but I found actually it's nice to have a clear headspace. Like, to, Especially if you get on a route that you know that you run a few times, so you don't need to think about where you're going. You can kind of just click your brain and just stand by and let it, let it think whatever it wants to think. 
Amazing. Um, <laughs> no, I tried. I I tried a little one of these meditation. It's called um, not calm. Can't remember what it's Headspace. Oh, I know Headspace. And one, one of, yeah, one of the things that it said in, the, in those early ones is like, imagine you're sitting by the road and your thoughts are cars. Like, watch them go. Don't don't jump in a car. Just just watch them go by. Let, let your mind go. Like, if you try and drag yourself to thinking of nothing, or if you focus on something, that's not that's not what you're trying to achieve in this this sort of meditation space. You're just like, okay, I'm thinking about that. All right, let's let's see where that goes. Like, I I, <laughs> I prepare for interview. Let's say I prepare for a podcast. Like, you go for a run and it just lets you think more. Like, you're thinking, oh, you know, I could talk about that. I'd, I'd completely forgotten about the proud telemarketer brand thing, and I was went for a run last night and then oh yeah I could talk about that like it you know if it doesn't if this doesn't sound too weird running is relaxing for me that like it, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you own that and you know yeah. I'll, I'll leave the audience with a thought that perhaps you know we started the conversation talking about marketing fatigue and it sounds like Richard's encouraging us all to go for runs so that new <laughs> so we can clear our heads and come back not fatigued relaxed and ready to start the day <laughs> absolutely yeah I, I tend to, i tend to run in the evenings rather than first thing in the oh, morning yeah. because you know small children but and, and also like you the first thing i found was that like an hour or so after a run once you sort of freshen up afterwards you go you, you do feel more energized like your muscles have kind of you, you drain them and recharge it's like like letting your phone battery run down to zero then fully recharging it you it's it does do do good things for you. So yeah, deal with your marketing fatigue by getting some genuine fatigue, and you might <laughs> let one <laughs> let one balance out the other. That's my soundbite tip for tip for the day. I love it, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm gonna close out this podcast. Maybe big, maybe go for a run. But thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we hope to have you on again. Thank you for having me. You stay safe and healthy too. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Gutman. And for more profound episodes of Radically Transparent, be sure to subscribe to our channel, B2B Marketing Now, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find Octopost on LinkedIn and YouTube and give us a follow.